we are uh, in the middle of a kind of a small sermon series that we are calling Journey to the Cross. Journey to the Cross. And this, the point of this series is so that we can prepare for the events that are coming because, as you know, I believe you know, um, Good Friday is less than two weeks away and Easter is two weeks from today. This is the big event for the church. Easter is the big event. It's all about that. We'll talk more. In fact, at the end of the service today, after our quiet time and song, I'll come back up and share a couple updates and plans for Easter with you, so hang tight for that. But uh, for now, we're getting ready for Easter by taking this journey to the cross. And what we're doing is we're looking at some events that took place mostly the week before the crucifixion that were kind of, um, they were catalysts. They were gasoline on the fire. They kind of spurred the events that caused Calvary to take place. Because people everywhere loved Jesus. He had been all over the countryside and the surrounding uh, areas. He had healed the sick. He had raised, I mean, he, he, had, he had fed the multitudes. He had taught. People loved him. But the religious leaders, the religious people, did not love Jesus. It's very interesting that it was the God crowd that opposed God in the flesh. Isn't that interesting? They were so far off the message of the Bible, the message of God, that when he showed up, they didn't recognize him because they had let religion become what it always becomes to humans when we get off point. It becomes about power, control, prestige, and a lot of things that are not in wealth, not things about God. In fact, I believe that we see it today. Uh, their religion had become very nationalistic in a lot of things other than good news. Jesus came to bring good news and to recenter the message of God. If Jesus was here today, I'm most certain, if he walked among us today again, he would find that it's the God crowd again that has gone off message, become nationalistic, has become uh, opportunity has become controlling of what we want to control, has become all about the wrong things. And we, we don't want to be guilty of that. And so as we take this journey to the cross, we see the events that kind of threw gasoline on the burning fire that brought the moment when Jesus would be crucified. Last week, if you were with us, we saw the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus. He had two sisters. It was Lazarus and Martha and Mary. They were a family. They lived in the city of Bethany, which was an, Bethany was an, a suburb of Jerusalem. Bethany was a pretty well-off suburb, like many suburbs are near cities. Um, Bethany was um, like Bethlehem. These were all suburbs of Jerusalem. And, and Mary and Martha and Lazarus were wealthier people. They lived there. They were friends of Jesus. And Jesus had done good things along the way for them, and they loved him dearly. And last week we saw that the, the, the brother, Lazarus, had died. And Jesus came a few days later and raised him from the dead, which was an amazing story. And many people believed on Jesus because of the resurrection of Lazarus. But the religious leaders were more determined than ever to kill Jesus because what he was doing was gathering a crowd and they were not happy about it. 
And we're going to pick up there in another story today. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to set the stage with one more background detail. We're going to see one story, and we're going to see it in three different books. So I'm going to say something that if you've been in church a long time, you already probably might already know this. Maybe you don't. But I don't want anyone to miss what we're saying today. So let me explain something basic about the Bible. The Bible, the New Testament, or the, the Christian scriptures, we could call them, um, contain four accounts of the life of Jesus. The four accounts of the life of Jesus, we, they call them the gospel accounts. The word gospel simply means good news. Jesus' life was good news for all of us. Those four accounts of Jesus' life are written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these four accounts tell the same story about the same person. But they sometimes tell different details about the same story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the most close to each other in story style, but John is the most unique. John had the most unique perspective. John was the one closer than almost anybody to Jesus himself. And so he has the most unique of the four gospel accounts. And, and when you read the gospels, and in today's story, we'll see the same story take place in Matthew, Mark, and John. It's the same event, but they tell different details. And sometimes when you see a story, and, and, and probably this doesn't happen to very many of us, we don't tend to read all three at the same time. If you read through your Bible, you probably read just like Matthew's story, and at a different time you read Mark's version. So you might not even notice that sometimes the details are different. But if you do what I do and you nerd out about that kind of stuff, you might see different details of the same event. And to a skeptic, that might look like the Bible has contradictions. Or to a believer, that might make them insecure, like, is there a mistake here? But it's not. It's the same as if all of us today got on a big couple charter buses and we drove someplace to some big event at some beautiful place, and we experienced this event together, we came back and we started telling our stories. We all were at the same place, saw the same things, heard the same things, but we'd all have different details that stood out to each of us of what we saw from our vantage point. That just helps us round out the full story, not just one person's version. So when we read a story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they give different details, it's just there to fill out the story for a more complete understanding. And I'm actually going to point out a couple of the differences today, just in case you ever notice them together and, and make sense of them, because it just tells us a more complete picture. But I want us to see this detail on the journey to the cross. We're going to start with Mark, then we're going to go to Matthew, then we're going to go to John, then back to Mark, Matthew, and John, and we'll go home. Starting with Mark chapter 14, here's our story. Verse 1. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. Now don't miss this because Passover was the big celebration. It was the most important holiday for the Jewish people. Passover for the Jewish people is what July 4th is for us in America. Independence Day, right? Actually, it was a bigger deal. Passover was a bigger deal to them than Independence Day is to us. Actually, Independence Day in America is the day that we signed the declaration to fight for independence. We didn't even have independence yet. We were just banking on the fact that we were going to somehow pull it off. And we did. So yay. But, um, but uh, Passover was the celebration of the time that God miraculously brought the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt, 
through amazing signs and wonders and miracles, he brought them out of slavery. And on the day he did it, they looked back and celebrated that day with a Passover celebration and a festival of unleavened bread. It was the most important holiday, or we could say holy day, in the Jewish calendar. And they made a big deal about it every year. People would come flocking back into Jerusalem for Passover. It was a full city. All the motels were, all the Airbnbs were signed up. They were, everything was filled in, in Jerusalem at Passover time. Probably Bethany and Bethlehem and towns nearby also received a surge in business because Passover was a big deal, especially at the temple in Jerusalem. So it says that the leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. Again, he didn't fit into their religious box. They had the religion the way they always did their religion, and Jesus came along and didn't do it the way they did it, so he must be wrong. And so they opposed him, and they, they felt so spiritual, but they were so opposing of what God was doing that they couldn't even see it in front of their eyes. So they decided they're going to kill him. But, verse 2, they said, but not during the Passover, not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, for the people might riot. Because the people who were pouring into the city saw Jesus' miracles all around, and they loved him. So even though these religious leaders controlled Jerusalem, they couldn't control the crowds that were there to celebrate. And they didn't want a riot on their hands. Verse 3, meanwhile, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. So remember, Bethany's an outskirt suburb of Jerusalem. It was a very well-off city. Jesus is there, and he's in the home of a man named Simon. Simon had previously had leprosy. Now, leprosy was not the kind of disease that you tended to come back from. They didn't have cures for these things, which likely means, though it doesn't say this, probably Jesus had healed Simon. He probably was healed by Jesus. And so Simon is, is grateful, and he's hosting a get-together, and Jesus is there. It says, while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. Now, that just makes me laugh. I don't know why. But I just you got to understand, I'm kind of weird. And it makes me laugh because, first of all, I'm no perfume expert. I just want to make that clear. I, I know not, very little about perfume. I know girls like it. I, I, I don't, couldn't tell you what's the, all the rage. Um, I don't know what, what, what's bougie out there in the perfume world. But I know that... Um, you know, hey, it's a thing. I know that when I was a, a single young man looking for a job in the area, for a better job, I once got suckered into a meeting for an interview where a bunch of us were pitched a multi-level marketing scheme to try to sell perfume door to door, and I walked away. That's the extent of my perfume expertise right there, okay? So I don't know this expensive perfume, but it says it was made from essence of nard. Is that like eye of newt? I don't know what that is. I think it's an essential oil, but I'm not sure. Anyhow, um, so this is expensive perfume, and this woman comes in with it, and she breaks open the jar, and she pours the perfume over Jesus' head. Which would seem, in our culture today, if someone pours a drink over your head, that's an insult, right? 
But this is a, a sign of worship, and we're going to see that a little later. She's worshiping him. It's a very expensive perfume. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 4. Some of those at the table were indignant. Some of the people sitting there were angry. Is it always someone getting angry when Jesus is, is around doing something good? They're angry. They said, why waste? Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. Why waste it? Apparently, pouring it on Jesus was a waste. In fact, they go on to explain in verse 5, it could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. Time out. That is some expensive perfume. Okay, if you have a bottle of perfume and you can sell it for a year's wages, look, I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life. I'd sell the perfume and buy some cheaper stuff, get a year's worth of money. A year's wages, that's how much this perfume costs. Now, I know people who are all into the high-end stuff. They have shoes that cost more than I make in a week. They, they, um, they have watches that cost more than I make in a year. I understand that that's the thing. I'm a simple guy. You know, you just give me my, you know, some clothes to wear and a Coke Zero in my hand, and I'm all good, you know. But, um, you know, these people, I mean, this was expensive perfume. And, and so the people watching her do it, they, they knew her. And they're like, that's, that perfume? You broke the seal, you poured it out. That's a year's salary. And they're yelling. They scolded her harshly. They're telling her, you could have sold that perfume and given it to the poor. So apparently the poor was their concern, I guess, right? They're upset. But who? Who's upset? If you read the last verse, it said that some of the people at the table were upset, right? Is that what it said? Some of the people at the table. Now who? We don't know. Understand that these are big tables, or sometimes there were several tables put together. Usually these kind of gatherings have a lot of people eating there. So some of them are upset that this perfume was so expensive was poured on Jesus, and they scolded the woman. Who were these people that were upset? My first guess, and maybe your first guess, would be the typical religious people that always fought Jesus, right? But it wasn't. To see the rest of the story, let's turn over to Matthew chapter number 26. Same story, Matthew 26. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany, the home of Simon, a man who he had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. Verse 8, the disciples were indignant when they saw this. Oh, it was the disciples. That was a surprise. Like of all the people angry at the table, it was the disciples? I mean, aren't these the guy in Jesus' corner? If anyone should have Jesus' back, I mean, I know they're not mad at Jesus. They're mad at the woman for wasting the perfume on Jesus. Maybe they're a little mad that Jesus let her do it because he has a tendency of seeing these things coming. They're upset. They're chewing her out. Who's chewing her out? The disciples. Of all the people at the table chewing this woman out, it's the disciples? I didn't see that coming. What would cause these guys to be so angry? What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. There's the poor again. Usually when we're upset, we got to spiritualize our reasons. Could have been given to the poor. So what got the disciples all stirred up? That seems surprising. Well, to see the rest of the story, let's turn over to John. John chapter 12 and beginning in verse 1. Six days before Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man whom he had raised 
from the dead. Now, if you're, if you're looking closely, you might think this contradiction's already here. <clears throat> Earlier it said it was two days before Passover, and he's at the home of Simon, a man who had been healed from leprosy. But now the same story says six days, and it mentions the home of Lazarus. Which is it? And it's not very hard to figure out if you think about it. What it's saying in John chapter 12 is that Jesus arrived, right? He arrived six days before Passover. Before the Passover began in Jerusalem, Jesus arrived in Bethany six days before. But Matthew and Mark tell us that two days before Passover, he's eating a meal at Simon's house. So the difference of days is that in one day he arrives, a few days later he's eating dinner with Simon. But here it says the home of Lazarus. But it doesn't mean the house of Lazarus. It says he arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. Or in other words, the hometown of Lazarus. The man Jesus had raised from the dead. Why does John point out that Bethany is the home of Lazarus? Well, if you were with us last week, you see that it was John. One chapter earlier, it was John that told us the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. So John is just telling his own audience, hey, Jesus is back in Bethany, you know, the hometown of that guy Lazarus we mentioned last time, who was raised from the dead. That's where Jesus is at. So he's in, he's in Lazarus' hometown six days before Passover. Four days after this, two days before Passover, he's eating in Bethany at the house of a man named Simon, who was a leper, who was cured of leprosy. Now we're seeing the fuller story, aren't we? Let's keep reading. A dinner. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. So now we have more details. At this big dinner, the three siblings, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, are there. We'll see Mary in just a moment here. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are there. They're at the party. And Lazarus, by the way, Lazarus was a big deal in these days. You know why? He was raised from the dead by Jesus. I mean, anytime someone's dead for four days and is brought back to life, they're kind of a conversation piece. They kind of have the best story at the dinner party. You know, the, you go to the dinner party and someone's always got to tell the best story. Do you have people in your life who do that? They're the, they, they, they hear your story and they have to raise the bar. Oh, that ain't nothing. Check out my story. They go, like, oh, excuse me, Mr. Wonderful. Uh, that ain't nothing. Well, if anyone had a dinner party story, it was Lazarus. Man, I had a rough week last week. Well, that ain't nothing. I was dead. And I'm alive again. Man, I slept, I slept in yesterday for like, I don't know, like 10 hours. That ain't nothing. I was four days in the grave. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Lazarus was a, a celebrity at this point. So he's at the dinner party. He's a celebrity. The disciples are there. Simon, who's hosting the party, is there. The place is full. And, and Martha's there. And Martha is serving. By the way, if you've read your Bible elsewhere, you may have seen that before in another place. Whenever Jesus was around Bethany and there was a, something going on, Martha was always serving in the kitchen. She was always cooking the food and cleaning things up. That was her love language. She was a server. In fact, she thought everyone should be a server, including her family. But she was a server. And Mary was usually at Jesus' feet somewhere, worshiping him. And Lazarus was doing what the guy does, sitting at the table eating and doing nothing to help. You know? So Lazarus is at the table eating, and, and, and Martha's serving, and Mary is always probably just like, oh, Jesus, I love him so much, you know? And they're all there at this dinner party. Look at verse 3. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar 
of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. Pause, pause. It was Mary was the woman in the story that did this to Jesus. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Martha's busy serving, and Mary is pouring out this year's salary worth of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. <laughs> essence of nard. Uh, Got to get me some of that stuff. And she's pouring it on Jesus, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with a fragrance. Time out here. It's the same story. We're not done reading it yet. But why does it say feet here when Matthew and Mark said that she poured it on his head? But doesn't it make sense that if she's pouring out this entire 12-ounce bottle of perfume on Jesus' head, it's running down him? And at some point, it's running down him bottom to his feet, and she takes the time to... And John, who always sat close to Jesus, John's writing this. John says that she actually got down, and as the ointment ran down him, she, she, she uh, 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 anointed his feet with it, and she wiped his feet with her hair. You talk about humbly serving and worshipful, that... Is a, I mean, that's the kind of thing that if someone's doing that in front of you, you get uncomfortable. It's like, what's, what's that person doing over there? She is worshiping Jesus. She is at his feet, anointing his head, anointing his feet, wiping her, his feet with her hair. This is Mary. Well, what, why would Mary be so worshipful? Mary was always worshipful. She was the one who was at Jesus' feet listening to him teach when Martha, the last time he was in town, was mad at her for not helping in the kitchen. Mary was always right there. But now she's pouring out a year's salary's worth of ointment on his head and his feet and worshiping him more. Why? Well, you know why. We saw last week why. It was her brother Lazarus that had died and was raised from the dead by Jesus. She's pretty happy. She's pretty much adoring him. She knows who Jesus is and she is all in. Look at verse 4 with me. But Judas Iscariot. Uh-oh, here we go. Here we are. Now we're getting some clarity. Now the light bulb's turning on. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Do you see it coming together? We're wondering who some of these people at the table were upset was some of the disciples. The disciples were upset. Well, why would the disciples be upset? Now we know. Because Judas Iscariot was angry and he was stirring the pot. He was stirring it up. Let me say something to you that we all need to hear. Be cautious of those people who stir the pot. Wherever you go, I, this is true in any part of life, when you find a bunch of people or a group of people getting disgruntled or upset about something, almost always there's somebody or two at the beginning of it all stirring the pot. This is true at our job sites, in our work environments. This is true in our communities, in our schools. This is true in our political landscape. It's true. I've been in church world my whole life. I've seen this over and over again in church through the years. You find somebody who's upset at things. They don't like how things are being done, or they're mad at this or mad about that. And you find a group of people, all of a sudden, out of the blue, there's a group of people who are upset or not healthy in their attitudes. Like, what's going on? Why are they getting toxic? you'll almost always find somebody stirring the pot. Who's the person stirring the pot? In this case, it was Judas Iscariot. He's upset. He thinks we could have sold that money for a year's worth of wages. That's a lot of money. And of course, giving it to the poor. You always got to spiritualize your disgruntledness, don't you? 
It's all about the poor because, you know, it doesn't sound good otherwise. And so this could have been given to the poor. And Judas is so upset that Mark tells us all the disciples got worked up by the instigator. By the way, be very careful, all of us today. If you find yourself getting bothered by things and upset and discontent or disgruntled at, at things around you that you're a part of, ask yourself, is there someone in your life stirring it up? Be careful. Because the disciples had to get corrected and Judas wasn't hearing it. So Judas is saying, we should have sold that perfume. Verse number six. Check this out. Not that he cared for the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Judas was the one who held the money bag for the disciples' work. As they went about and did places, and sometimes they had to buy food or lodging or help. They helped lots of people. They gave it away. They helped the poor. Judas kind of held on to the, he was the treasurer of the group. And apparently he was a thief, it says, and along the way he had learned to sit there and say, they won't miss a few dollars here. Like anybody who starts stealing off the register at work and at first it's a little bit. And then you get a little more bold and a little bit more, right? And he's starting to pocket some money along the way and he's getting more bold. He was a thief. He didn't care about the poor. But all of a sudden, Judas is sitting there and he sees a woman walk in with a perfume that was worth more than you can make in a year. Breaks the seal and pours it on Jesus and Judas's dollar bill-shaped eyeballs went crazy. And he's like, what? And he scolds her and he's upset and he gets all the other disciples worked up with him. And of course, he can't say what he really means. Hey, that money could have been put in the bag so I could have stolen it. You can't say what you're thinking, right? Be careful. When someone who is upset and stirs the pot and causes trouble, usually they're very good at spiritualizing the reasons they're upset. We don't ever usually say the real reason we're upset. The real reason for Judas was, I'm a thief. I wanted to steal that money. I can't say that. We could have given that money to the poor. That sounds spiritual. Whenever someone's stirring the pot, they're usually stirring the pot and they're they're, mis they're, they're putting it under the guise of a good reason. We're this way in our, in our, our communities sometimes, in our work environments, and sadly sometimes in church environments I've seen, and, and, and in politics, we like to demonize the other side, and we like to, to if we're mad, we, we put the best possible spin on why. We're never honest with ourselves about what the real issue is. And here's Judas, the thief. We should have had that money for the poor, the poor. And the other disciples were like, yeah. And everyone's worked up. What a shame. What a sad story. Well, Jesus is about to speak up. And let's go back to Mark for a minute here. In Mark chapter 14, verse number six. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Why, he says, why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? So see, they were mad at her, and Jesus looks at the disciples and all of them, Judas and all of them, says, guys, leave her alone. Why are you criticizing a woman who is doing something good to me? They're getting rebuked. By the way, that's what needs to happen sometimes. When, when someone's stirring the pot, when someone's causing trouble, sometimes you want to step back and leave it alone. Sometimes you've got to step in and say, knock it off. Knock it off. You're not doing anyone any good. Knock it off. And Jesus is saying, guys, 
leave her alone. Why are you criticizing her for doing such a good thing to me? He explains further in verse 7, Jesus says, you will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. Don't misread what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying we shouldn't help the poor. Jesus' entire ministry, he helped the poor. He helped them over and over again, didn't he? What Jesus is saying here is, as much as we want to help the poor, there's always going to be poor people to help. Let's be honest, 2,000 years later, we still haven't solved poverty in the world today. We should do something about it. We should help. We should do all we can do. But, but it's always going to be around, isn't it? So Jesus is like, guys, leave her alone. You'll always have the poor to help. You can help them whenever you want to, but you'll not always have me. I'm leaving soon, Jesus said. I won't always be here. Leave her alone. She's doing what she's doing for me. He says in verse 8, she has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. In other words, he says, she, here's what she's done. She has foreseen that I'm going to die for your sins and rise again, and she's anointed my body for burial. This is a big deal, and I don't want to rush past it. Because Jesus had been telling everybody who was listening, supposedly listening, that he was going to die for their sins and rise again, and it kept going in one ear and out the other. His disciples did not understand it. Peter chewed him out one time for saying it. And here's a woman who she heard it and she got it. And she's anointing his body for burial. And Jesus is saying, she understands what I'm here to do. And you guys don't. And he goes on to say this in verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, wherever, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Isn't that awesome? She, he says, listen, I'm, Jesus, I'm going to make a bold prediction here, a prophecy, if you please. He says, I'm going to tell you that wherever this message of what I came to do, the good news, wherever this is preached throughout the entire world, throughout time, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Was he right? Well, here we are today, 2,000 years later, across the other side of the planet, remembering and discussing it today. So I guess he was right, wasn't he? And she will be remembered for what she did. Well, no doubt the disciples felt rebuked. Sometimes we need to be corrected, and they must have felt corrected. And maybe they were repentant in their heart for what they were saying to her. But not Judas. Not Judas. Turn to Matthew again, Matthew 26. The very next verse of the story says this in Matthew 26, 14. Then, after this, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked them, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. This became the catalyst. I know spiritually Satan entered his heart. But again, practically, what was the tool? What was the, what was the uh, sinful area of Judas's life that the devil worked through? It was his love and consumption of money. And he goes to the priest. He's angry. Jesus had corrected them and defended this woman who wasted a year's worth of salary of perfume and, to worship him. And he's mad. And Jesus corrects the disciples, and they're sorry. But he leaves angry, and he goes to the enemies and says, Guys, I, I, I lost a chance at some good money to steal from. How much will you pay me? I can, I can, you know, Daddy needs a, fur, a new coat, you know. Uh, what can you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they're like, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. He goes, good, I'll take it. Wow. From that time on, 
Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, let me me follow with me here. There are two people in this story today, two people that are very important here. Mary and Judas. There's more people in the story, but two people I want you and I to think about. Mary and Judas. Both of them were in the same environment. Both of them had access to Jesus' teachings. Both of them had seen his miracles. Both of them would be appear to others to be spiritual people. Right? They're in the same environment. They, stay in, they sat in the same church, in the same roof, heard the same preaching, right? They, they were, in other words, they heard Jesus' teaching. They saw his miracles. They were in the same everything. They both seemed spiritual. But one of them, one of them, Judas, was consumed by money, was consumed by wealth. And it led him to steal And eventually it led him to destroy his relationships around him. Because that's what we do when money consumes us. We'll eventually not only steal, we'll start to turn against people who stand in our way or or whatever because we get consumed by money. And And he turned on people against him. And eventually he abandoned his faith and betrayed Jesus himself. That's the path that his love and passion and consumption of money and wealth and look, I'm not pushing money down. We all, you got to make money to live, right? I'm not, don't misread me. You ought to make it. You ought to handle it right. You ought to budget it. You ought to prepare for your future. But, but, but Paul warns us that the love of money, the love of money is the root of all, all evil. And here's a good example of it here. He didn't just look at money as a tool to make life work better. He looked at it with greed and passion. And it caused him to steal. And it caused him to destroy relationships. And it caused him to eventually abandon Jesus and his faith. That's one person. The other person in the story was Mary. What did Mary do? Mary chose to see more value in Christ than she did in her possessions. She saw more value in Jesus than she did in her wealth. And she took something that was very expensive and she said, I'm going to pour it on Jesus. I'm going to take what I have as a tool to use it, not for myself, but I'm going to give it to worship Jesus. I'm going to give it to glorify him. Judas is saying, what can I get out of this deal? I like the prestige of being one of Jesus' 12 main guys. And I like holding the money bag and pocketing some money. What's in it for me? And Mary's like, what do I have that I can give? I can give to Jesus. And she gave it away. She recognized what Jesus had already done for her when he raised her brother from the dead. And she recognized what Jesus was still going to do on the cross. In other words, she was grateful for what Jesus had already done, and she had faith in what Jesus was still going to do. Did you hear me? The difference here between these two people, one got consumed by money, the other was grateful for what Jesus had already done, and was, had faith in what he was still going to do. Which are we today? Are we the ones consumed by the things of this life that will, that will all die and burn up someday? Or are we living in gratitude for what Jesus has already done? and in faith of what he's still going to do. Two people, different outcomes. In fact, you want to know know what happens to Judas? Later on, he would betray Jesus. Jesus would get arrested, and Jesus would be condemned to die. And in Matthew 27, it says, when Judas, 
who had betrayed Jesus, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. See, the outcome of living a life that's consumed by materialism and personal gain and wealth and money, the, life, the outcome of that life is often remorse. It's remorse. And, and Judas is filled with regrets now, but he can't change it. He tries to change it. He says, so he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. And he says here, um, in the next verse, I have sinned, he declared. I betrayed an innocent man. He wants to undo it, but it's too late to undo it. The priest said, what do we care? They retorted, that's your problem. See, the problem is the people, watch it, the people in your life who will take you down a bad path, the people who will pull you away from God are the people who will abandon you when regret and remorse set in. And here is, here is P, uh, Judas now saying, guys, I made a mistake. And they're like, that's your problem. We don't care. Thanks for your help. Get out of here now. And Judas realized there was no undoing what he had done. Verse 5, then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and he went out and he hanged himself. What a sad ending to a life that was once so close to Jesus but consumed with the things of this world more than his Savior. The wrong heart towards money and materialism does not bring us joy or a happy ending in life. But as Mary, but as Mary showed us, the right heart, our faith in Christ, our love for God, does bring joy and a happy ending in life. Well, back to John 12 real quick as we wrap up today. Verse 9, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem, he arrived for Passover time. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus. Did I mention that Lazarus was a big deal? He was a party talking point. The man that Jesus had raised from the dead, yeah, they flocked to see him. You could sell tickets for that one, right? Verse 10, then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. <laughs> we got to kill Lazarus too, man. Can't just kill Jesus, got to kill Lazarus. Why? Because it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. It's always about their control and their power. And they're like, these people are leaving us and believing on Jesus because of Lazarus. We better kill Jesus and Lazarus. By the way, you ever think about how dumb, dumb decisions are? <laughs> like, here's their, their thought process. This guy can raise people from the dead. Let's kill that guy and kill the guy who is the resurrection. Didn't turn out very well for them in the end. They would kill Jesus. He would arise three days later and they would go into obscurity and 2,000 years later, we're worshiping Jesus still. Didn't work out very well, did it? But, but this is what they're doing. They're gonna kill Jesus and kill Lazarus too. And that brings us to one last story before the crucifixion. And that's next Sunday. Don't miss it. 